This is Dig a Little Deeper, and welcome to episode 70-something. 70-something. We're in the 70s. <laughs> 70 plus. We're growing old. But, That's our uh, executive producer, Michael Slater's job to know. I, I tell you what, there seems to be a grace on us doing this because uh, I think I've seen so many people start a podcast, get to seven episodes, and then stop, and I can fully understand that too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of work that goes into making a podcast, but I guess we've really tried to make sure that it's not a rod for a back, a yeah. rod for our back, yeah. and um, that's why I guess we want it to be a conversation rather than his teaching, give you all the information, give you all the answers. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So jump in, chip in if you've got something to add to the conversation, uh, and we thought we'd run out of places to go, but we haven't. No, so no. where are we up to today? <laughs> well, the thought is looking past the tree to see the forest. And I guess that comes from, you know, an old uh, an old saying, can't see the forest for the trees, which I think it's sort of about um, your perspective and not just sort of majoring on minors or being so focused on maybe the, the thing at hand that you can't see the big picture. Yeah. That's kind of the concept. So what, what I wanted to talk about today was, you know, in our Bible study and our reading, um, the way that we approach the scripture is what are some things that can help us see the forest? Great. Because no matter what truth we're looking at within scripture, I mean, it's it's within a larger context always. Yeah. And so I guess in a sense we're, we're talking about ways to find context and it certainly won't be um, uh, exhaustive. It was just, you know, a few thoughts that I had that I've jotted down that have helped me. Yeah, and because I guess you can really – I'm sure there's other people that would relate to this as well, where you find a, a verse or something and you get can get so stuck on trying to work out what it means <laughs> and miss everything that's going on around it. Um, and I know even in our preaching, yeah. uh, I don't know, I just feel like there's been a fresh kind of focus on that within the last year or two where it's really diving into making sure the context of what's been written is yeah, clear, yeah. even if it's a two, three-sentence summary while you're preaching so that people are like, oh, I actually know what's going on yeah, here. And yeah. I find myself listening to other preachers as soon as they say the context for this is, I'm instantly like, oh, good. Like, Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you thought about yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which I must admit, like uh, there might be people listening that come from different traditions who are just like, well, this is the ABCs yeah. because it is the ABCs. But I must admit, probably in the circles I've moved in, you know, often the, the shining revelation, the thing that might hit you in the face when you're reading a passage, uh, you know, that tended to come before context or being authentic with the text or whatever. Mm. It was just like, wow, if I sense God could use this, then I'm just going to use it. And sometimes that meant, you know, wrestling things out of context even. Yeah. Um, which, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think that when the Holy Spirit breathes on the scriptures, it does become living to us. Mm. And so God is able to speak to us out of real, we've talked about this before, obscure really obscure places. stuff. Yeah. And I think ultimately the rule of thumb is, is that as long as it's tra- making me take a step towards being more like Christ, then it's okay. You know, in yeah. the past, God's used donkeys too. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. So uh, uh, this actually came out of, this whole concept came out of, uh, what we're just talking about, which was message preparation. Yeah. Where, uh, you were a bit stuck on a message just yesterday and yeah. and I offered to be a sounding board just to see if it could get you moving. Yeah, um, and I guess I was so – and I guess what one of the things that makes context challenging um, is often the context goes beyond the chapter that you're reading or even the book that you're reading. Yeah, that's a, yeah, um, yeah. So for me it was – 
you know, found the passage that I, I kind of was on my heart that I wanted to share from. It talked about Jews and Gentiles not associating with each other. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, well, I'll just dig into that a bit and try to figure out where that came from. Mm-hmm. And kind of was able to trace it back to, okay, it, you know, it was this added in rule by, you know, the Jewish people coming mm-hmm. from a good place to try honor God, to be holy to and be set separate. apart. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, but then I guess when you came in, you were able to bring bring even further context, which yeah. is like the thought that you have goes all the way back to Abraham. Yeah. And yeah. I guess linking different parts of scripture together that um, for me weren't instantly obvious. Yeah, yeah, That which is great. I mean, I, I guess one of this, this introduces maybe the first principle, which is the point of first mention. Mm. So even though Gentiles aren't necessarily, so if we talk about this, so for the Jewish people, they were the people that had covenants with God uh, and, you know, at this point, point in time they were under um, uh, Moses's covenantal law etc and uh, and yet their journey with God starts earlier than that mm. it starts right back with the patriarchs and so we can go right back to the book of Genesis and Abraham and then God's call to Abraham as the father of a whole new nation which would become Israel mm. and it was that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed yeah and so when you see that this separation between gentile and jew it's like well that might have been the way people interpreted the law etc and the way that people were living out the law but that wasn't God's original mandate right. to Abraham. That was never the intention of God, is that people would be divided along either racial lines or any other kind. Mm. It was the exact opposite. It's funny. I mean, how wrong could you yeah, get yeah. the heart of God while you're getting right the scripture? Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so here's Abraham with a calling to bless the nations. And then by Jesus' day, we find the very nation that was called to bless the other nations are holding God with a very tight fist. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and we just we just got into that. And, yeah. and so that's like a principle of first mention. Where's this concept surface yeah. in the scriptures? And it wasn't so much a separation between Jew and Gentile. It was the antithesis of that. Yeah. It was there was never meant to be a separation, yeah. which does provide context to why the heck was it the way it was. And I guess it changed the angle that I was thinking about this from, which is I guess the chapter I was speaking from, Acts 10, um, kind of Cornelius the centurion and this kind of moment that Peter has where it's like, hang on, God doesn't have favourites. He's for the the Jews and the Gentiles. Mm. Um, but it went from here's this new thing almost that God's doing to actually God said it to Abraham, Jesus said it to Peter, and then yep. 10 chapters after Pentecost or whatever, finally Peter's getting, the, the penny oh, drops. hang on, yeah. you know, Jesus <laughs> says go out into all nations. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so the, the concept of, of Point first, of first mention, mention, yeah. have We're, you got any thoughts around, like, I guess how to work that out besides just really, really knowing Scripture? Look, I think this is one of the things, and it's, you know, I, I know that in – you know, a lot of deconstructionist thought out there at the moment. Um, people are unhitching the wagon to the Old Testament and going, the Old Testament's not relevant in that. And I think that is a massive mistake. Mm. Uh, and for a number of reasons that we can outline on the way through. But for a start, you know, the book of Genesis, for example, if we just take Genesis, Genesis 
it literally means beginnings or origins. That's what the title of the book means. And, and years ago, I heard it explained in a theological context that it was the seedbed of doctrine, that it was literally in seed forms, you know, so much of what we see unfold in Scripture right. is found in Genesis. So to unhitch your wagon from, I think, any of the Old Testament, I do think we need to understand. And the reason people are unhitching their wagon is because I wouldn't say maybe it's fear-driven, but it's definitely ignorance-driven. Right. And I'm not saying that in a nasty way. I'm saying it's a misunderstanding or it's failing to understand or never having learnt you know, maybe a different way to view the scripture mm. to, in, in one sense, to enter into the Jewish mindset, demystifies and unclutters so much of what we often don't understand about the Old Testament. Yeah. There is a different way to read it mm. um, from just this literalistic kind of aspect. And so. And I, I, I wonder too if a lot of that's come from not being allowed to or being perceived that there's only one way. Yeah. Because I even just yesterday noticed I follow this page on um, Instagram, which kind of talks about a lot of theological stuff. Hmm. And it was talking about Genesis and it was talking about um, the Garden of Eden, the talking snake. And it was basically addressing the, the, the question of, is there a talking snake? Mm. And the guy basically went down the line of, there's lots of different ways to interpret that. Some people do take it literally as mm-hmm. there was, you know, it was um, Satan in snake form speaking mm-hmm. to them. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's people that see that as, um, you know, a, what, what would the right word, like a, a artistic story describing yeah. the origin kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Three or four years ago, I would have arced up that there was two different ways to read it. I would have been like, "No, there's only one way to yeah, get it." Yeah, that's exactly like, right. Just even being allowed to. Oh yeah, and look, when you when it comes to that, the, when we're talking, you know, even and we will look at some hermeneutical rules of interpretation and stuff in another podcast. But you know, one real basic rule in sense, or one great way of looking at scripture, I think that we need to to be honest with it, is that scripture can never say what it wasn't originally intended to say. Right. This is the problem we get into with Scripture. We we backtrack or we, we focus back with our pop culture eyes, with our pop culture goggles on or even just our church history goggles on or our current human understanding of science. We, we, we look back and refocus and make Scripture say things that the writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, never intended to say. Right. And I think Gordon Fee was one of the theologians that that coined that phrase, Scripture can never say what it was not originally intended to say. Yeah. And when we make it do that. So, for example, with, um, with the snake and with Satan, the concept, you know, there's a serpent in the garden. I've got no problem with that. But, but if we call that Satan, you know, we... Hasatan, the Satan, was not a Jewish concept till... Way later, right? In it doesn't appear in in Hebrew scripture until so far past here, fifteen hundred years, I think, or so. So, you know, so when we put you know newer concepts back, we do a disservice. We're actually twisting the scripture. We think we're joining dots and being highly inspired, mm. but again, when we start to say things about the scripture that the original writer, uh, remember 
inspired by the Holy Spirit. If you believe the scriptures inspired, you should not make it say what the original writer was not trying to say through it, even if it mm. appears like all the dots join up. Yeah, okay. And I think that we continuously wrestle with this. Is This is a tension. This is like as we emerge from our own immaturity, mm. we try and be more careful and mm. gracious with the way we handle scripture. And I know, you know, even in our journey, I've had good friends who are concerned you know, and do genuinely care about me, so concerned about my deconstruction journey, if we could put it that way, quote unquote, I'd rather call it art restoration. But but ultimately, I feel like I love the scripture more, mm. I respect the scripture more, and I try my hardest to honour it. Yeah on a higher level than what I ever did because I'm not just using it like the rule book for life. I'm not just using it like, you know, I'll just whatever, whenever it says something that I agree with, I'll wrestle that out of context and reinforce my argument. All those mistakes that I think immaturity makes and reading the Bible, you know, literally in places where it wasn't meant to be read literally, for example, as a history document, reading a non-historical book as a history book, you know, that kind of thing that you unwittingly do. You don't do it consciously. But the more you sort of study Scripture and even study around what the Scripture is, not just the Scripture itself, but actually get a bit of an understanding of how to approach the Scripture, I think that ultimately you begin to honour it on another level. Yeah, very good. And, and that's what we want to do. So point of first mention, you know, so Genesis, there's there's things in there. Um, any open Bible will have a study on the scarlet thread of redemption, for example, that blood sacrifice right from, you know, God giving Adam and Eve skins, animal skins. Well, there's only one way that could happen. Obviously, mm. blood was shed. And then that scarlet thread right through to the cross. And the only th- caution, I would give there and something that's come on my radar in more recent times is really being careful of literalizing metaphors around this. And um, in the podcast that we've just dropped with Future Church, we discuss this a bit deeper, but it's worth revisiting. And that is where metaphors are given um, to point the way to Jesus, but then we kind of literalize them. Right. Um, and we can end up joining dots that were never meant to to be joined. So when there's so many different metaphors in scripture that point to Jesus as coming Messiah, as, uh, you know, the, the lamb of God, for example, is another great metaphor. Um, they point to an undeniable truth, but often we can, we fill the gaps between these dots with theories. Right. And then we say, that's what the Bible's saying. And it's like, no, no, when we talk about what the Bible says, we should talk about what the Bible says. And then when we talk about how we think it might work or how those dots join, we should be careful to acknowledge that I'm joining a few dots here. You know? Right. So you're talking about like maybe doctrine and theories that are added in. Yeah. Have you got an example of something like that? Just to, oh. Is that... Maybe Luke's the Luke pod. Yeah, yeah. I think I think last week we covered it pretty mm. well. I'm pretty sure it's dropping before this episode. We've got them both loaded to go now, so I'm pretty sure it's dropping. And um, you know, we become just. I guess the whole concept is we become tempted to fill the gaps. So you have all these sort of different images around pointing at Jesus, and we sort of think, well, we want them to all line up in a row. Right. But often they don't. Often they are more like different facets of a diamond, Mm. you know, that in different parts of history, 
God was turning the diamond and different things lit up. Yeah. And they were cultural icons. They were things that meant stuff to the people at the time. Classic example is Abraham and Isaac. You know, so God God taking a guy from Ur of the Chaldees. Oh, yeah. Used okay, to yeah. child sacrifice and meeting him at a point of child sacrifice. Mm. Not because God wanted child sacrifice, but because and we'll we'll get get into that a little bit deeper as we go, but um you know, that's good. That's a good caution of being careful to, I guess, like a dot to <laughs> a dot. What is it? A dot to dot? I haven't done one of those for ages. You know how they have the numbers yeah, next yeah. to the dots, and yeah, yeah, and you join the dots. Yeah, yeah. When they haven't yeah. got numbers on them, we got to be careful joining together. Very, and, very much. You know, because as we've mentioned, I think previously, the temptation is, you know, if there's a gap in God's DNA, we're so tempted to fill it with human DNA. You know, a great example of that is wrath. Hmm. We see wrath as a really angry human. Hmm. So when we go wrath of God, we see the wrath of God as a really big angry human. Right. <laughs> you know what or I mean? like a judgment or something. Yeah, yeah. Like we that. just think yeah. that that's God, but it's it might not actually be. You know the way that Scripture speaks about it. Mm. Just the way we think about it might not be the way Scripture talks about it. Whether it's word meaning or word context or word usage through the different passages. So there's a you know there's a few things going on. Yeah. So um, back to I guess principles for. Um, principles yes. that we're talking about. Back on track. Yeah. What, what's another principle? Uh, another great one. Point of first mention. Yeah. Point of first mention. One that's really helped me is this is all one story. Mm. Seeing scripture is all one story. So, you know, really, it, this is not a mosaic of unconnected God stories. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can yeah. read the Bible a bit that way. And it's great. It's, it's like, it's great to study the tree. You just got to remember. It's part of a forest. It's got to fit into everything <laughs> yeah. else. Yeah, right. And sometimes, as we say, you know, a question that's posed in one book is only answered in another book, even in another time era, literally, mm. in the history of the story. And so it's almost like the roots are connected underground and, and it's it's your joy to find where the roots are connected yeah. in the forest. I guess because um, sometimes like questions are... Maybe questions opposed to something, say Old Testament, and you don't get the answer to the New Testament. Right. But I wonder yeah. if there's something within our human thinking that it's like, here's an unanswered question, I must answer yeah, it. Yeah. Which I guess is what you were just talking yeah. about a little bit. But, oh, this must yeah. be what that's it's, talking about. It's true about. because in a sense we want our questions answered because they give us security. But I, I don't know whether I'm being naive or not. I just feel like, if they, we're being really honest, I, I just feel like the older I get, um, Paul's words, I know whom I've believed mm. and I'm convinced that he's faithful to keep what I've entrusted to him. It, it, there's this sort of rock-solid sense of knowing Jesus, therefore I'm becoming more comfortable with mystery. Mm. I'm not scrambling to explain everything I can't explain, whereas once upon a time I think my insecurity might have driven me to want to do that, yeah. to feel successful, to feel capable, to feel like I had it together or to feel like people, maybe in a pastoral role, that people could trust your leadership because the leader knows where he's going or the leader knows everything about God. And and all of that is really ridiculous when you think about it. Mm. I mean, I, I think it doesn't remove from us the responsibility to try and be as well studied as we can be and to be as faithful to Scripture as we can be and faithful to the leading of the Holy Spirit, all of that. But but becoming comfortable with with the mystery, yeah. Because ultimately, an eternal 
undescribable, indescribable God mm. is never going to fit in our head. Yeah. No yeah. matter how hard we try and cram him in there, we're, yeah, we're just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're leaking, we're leaking our knowledge of God even as we bring more in, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so we are finite and he is infinite and that will never change. I guess, the, I don't know if this kind of metaphor makes sense, but I just got kind of picture as you're talking like, I don't know, if you're watching a train go through the mountains and it goes through a tunnel and it comes out the other side, you can't see the train in the tunnel, but you just trust that there's tracks in there. Yeah. Exactly. And I wonder if there's yeah, gaps in our right. knowledge where it's like, yeah. I don't really know what's happening here, yeah, but I can see the train on this side and I can see the train on that side. Yeah. So obviously that all works, whatever's in yeah, there. Yeah, that tunnel's yeah. not blocked up. That's a great analogy. That's You just got that off the top of your head. I did, yeah. <laughs> I just thought of good. it while you were talking about That's it. Pretty good. But it made sense to me because I thought, you know, there are times where it's like, oh, I can so clearly see Jesus in that, say. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe it's like, that bit I'm not sure about. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that bit I can as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. When, you know, when Jesus says things that you think, wow, I need that explained. Um, mm. Jesus is a great example when it comes to this is all one story. Like, Jesus was Jewish. Yeah. And I know that that is so obvious, but we just. Don't always bring that mind to the scripture. You, you mean he's not like a 21st century He's hipster? not a 21st century <laughs> He doesn't hipster. drink lattes. <laughs> he didn't. You know, he'd probably he spit latte out or coffee out. What do you reckon you think that? of oat milk? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I have no idea. But I do know this. Jesus was Jewish. He was happily Jewish too. Mm. And I think we've got to see that. He he came to fulfill, not to abolish the law. You know, that's that's was one of his... Firm statements, you know, don't think I've come to tear anything down. Right. Not one jot or tittle of the law is going to pass away and I've come to fulfil, not to abolish. And, you know, if we look at that with our third millennia cultural filter, you know, we're tempted to see, you know, fulfil and not abolish. Really, we see it as to satisfy the law in such a way as to make it obsolete. Mm. That's often the way the Christian church has approached it, uh, particularly, I guess, our our brand or our sway of it, of the Christian church, is like Jesus made the Jewish law obsolete. But actually the Hebrew concept to fulfill the law was to live the law. Right. To abolish the law was to nullify the law. Hmm. You know, so it wasn't about Jesus coming and now he's the perfect sacrifice. And so everything that was ever said before, that's irrelevant. No, no, what Jesus was saying is I will live Everything that's ever been said, Mm. I will live it so that you can see it in living form. This is, I think, why Scripture calls him the living word. Right. And so, um, you know, for example, when he challenged the the religious leaders about Korban, you know, this dedication to the temple so they didn't have to look after their parents – so instead of looking after their parents, they could say, sorry, you know, I could build another room on the house, but that money that I've got sitting there, uh, I'm going to, I've dedicated it to God and one day he'll show me how I'm going to use it. Yeah, okay. In the yeah. meantime, mum and dad suffer, then die, and then he builds an extra room for himself. You yeah, know? yeah. So yeah. Th- there was this kind of we can abolish the law. You know, mm. while we're saying we're fulfilling it, right? And yeah. and so Jesus challenged that stuff because he's like, no, 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 I came to fulfill the law. And if Scripture says honor your father and mother, mm. that's what you do. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, he did that as someone who the current teachers of the day, when he was twelve years of age, were astonished by. Mm. His parents come back to the temple and find him even though he has transcended his peers already at 12 years of age, it says that he was submissive 
He went home with them and submitted to his parents. Mm. Why? Because he was here to fulfil the law. Yeah. And he honoured his mother and stepfather, if you look at it that way. Which I guess we see there, like I guess that that whole returning to point of first mention as well with Jesus and the honouring father and mother. Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering, are these principles like, would you say it's like step one, step two, like... If, if someone's like stuck with something or yeah, they're just like, yeah. oh, I need to figure out the context of this or is it yeah. more things to kind of keep in mind at the same time as you're searching? Yeah, look, I think they're things to just keep in mind and obviously the more you read scripture, the more you naturally kind of go, oh, I think I've read something similar to that or I've heard this story before, it appears earlier. Um, a, a lot of the New Testament, you know, are quotes of Old Testament passages, you know, mm. so you can go back. If you've got a Bible that's got links, you can just go directly back to where that passage came from. And um, uh, funnily enough, I find Jesus, <laughs> I look at some of his contextual stuff and think, wow, he was pretty, he got pretty loose with scripture and quotes and context at times. But I think we've got the opportunity, and especially now with search engines and, and stuff like that, it's yeah. so easy to join the threads, yeah. you know. Um, the only thing you've got to do there is be a little bit careful that you just don't accept other dots that people have joined. Yeah. Do the research for yourself. Find the passages, read the context of the original passages or the earlier stories and join the dots yourself or at least, you know, create the pathway yourself. Don't just rely on someone else's work mm. because, who you know, some I've read some funny stuff out there too. Yeah, I was, I was going <laughs> to ask later but I'll ask now. If you had any kind of recommended resource or stuff for this, because I've noticed the same thing. Like you do have to be, you can't just take the answer from the first link that comes up when you Google. Uh, And understanding how Google works, you know, how you ask the question says a lot about what kind of answer that you'll get. Yeah. Look, I'm not sure whether there's, there's really no one source. There's great books to read. There's great books by authors like John Walton. There's, you know, I I think that every Christian, to even understand what we're talking about, Jesus was Jewish, a great, insightful, poke a hole in your sky book has got to be Lois Verberg's Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus. Uh, She's got other books like Walking Walking with the Rabbis. And Mm. so she's a a Jewish scholar, I think led tours over there for many years, um, and she has just brought some brilliant stuff out. I would, I just, we've recommended it earlier, mm. but once again, walking yeah, yeah, in the yeah. dust of Rabbi Jesus would be so helpful for you to understand Jewish idiom. She touches Jewish idiom that, like figures of speech and things that Jesus uses that would have meant so much to his original audience. They did not need explanation. When he said it, a Jewish mind knew exactly what he was saying. Whereas we now have to try and go back to a Jewish mind if we want to know what was originally intended by the author Mm -hmm. and by the speaker, we have to go back to that context where it made sense. And... And it, it's possible to do this. It's it, it actually isn't rocket science. It's just a little bit of work. Yeah. It's a little. It's called Bible study, people. Yeah. And sometimes we study the Bible not by studying the Bible, but by studying how to study the Bible. Yeah. And equipping yourself to to look at it properly. So there's a couple of resources I'd say. That's great. And mm. and I think what you said earlier kind of tempers that really well. Well, where it's like, hey, the Holy Spirit can speak to us through anything. Yeah. So 
I remember when I first started thinking through these things, my response was, I'm just too afraid to read anything because yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to get it wrong. Yeah. It's like, no, like read and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. But also if you have questions, dig into it. Yeah, that's it. So have you got another, I think you had a third principle. I think yeah. you said you had three principles. Yeah, so I did. Um, number three. The story is going somewhere. Uh, it could be called Ark, you know. not. I mean, there's historical Ark is one part of it. Um but just this is more just focusing on. So by historical arc, I mean you know that this started as an ancient story, and it's still an it finished as an ancient story. Yeah. By the way, two thousand years ago. But but you know there's an arc to it from literally primordial times. Mm. You know before human history was understood. You know right through. So the creation of the planet right through to, you know, more modern times, you know, Roman society, Greek society, culture, language, you know, written language, all of that. So it it ends in a very different place and that's historic arc and we've mm. got to let ancient people be ancient people yeah. and not judge them through the eyes, you know, of a 2023. I, I love what you said. About, I remember you saying about this kind of thing once. You said... Um they weren't bad people. They were just then people. That's it. Like that's it. But by today's standards, they probably like. Yeah, we'd say they. That's were, a bad person. We'd say they were violent and they were crude and and. But the reality was they had to be to survive. Mm. It's called surviving people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, uh, but this is a bit different to historical arc. This story is going somewhere. Mm. Is this thought that. Um, you know there are things to join. This this is on an arc. And it is traveling, and we have to recognize the arc that it's traveling. Um, and th- well, that is historic arc, it really is. But I just, I've couched it in those terms because I think if we just think about the story of God, um, you know, we're looking to join the dots when we're thinking that way. Mm. This story is going somewhere, it came from somewhere, and it, it's going somewhere. Yeah. And it just helps us broaden our thinking back mm. to that concept of not just staring at trees but actually realising it that tree that I'm staring at that I'm enamoured by that seems so relevant for me right now. And it will be. It, is, it might be the reason you see that tree is because God's highlighted that tree. But I yeah. recognise that it has roots that go way back yeah, and it yeah, has yeah. – it has many siblings in the forest as well. Yeah. You know, and often people get into trouble when they just go down the rabbit hole of one thing. Yeah. One doctrine, one. It's almost like conspiracy theory applied to the scriptures. Yeah. And they just go to. So when your church. One scripture and they're like. Or, or, or even, a, even a concept. Like people get stuck on this end times thing. End times. It's end times. It's end times. It's like, yes, it's been end times for at least 2,000 years. Yeah. You know, since Jesus came, it has been end times. And. And yet people just make out with fear and with this and they start joining dots and then they have a blood moon and they start to, you know, yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's like blood moons start come and go. Pa- they start yeah, to yeah, post yeah. on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> they come and go. And um, this the story is still travelling somewhere and don't worry, it won't end before God wants it to end. So, mm-hmm. you know, our concern and our worry is not going to change that and I think even Jesus spoke to that. So the story is going somewhere. So, you know, we have – what I love about the story going somewhere is redemptive images. 
Okay, yeah. Because often we see an earlier image and there might not seem to be anything redemptive about it. Mm. But then as the story progresses, you realise God's bringing a better story. Yeah, yeah. So you can look at something in isolation and go, oh, that's ugly. Mm. But it's really important to know the story's going somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, okay, let's not just freak out about this story. Let's... Let's see where the story travels, Yeah, where the story goes. I guess it's a little bit like um, with, with some of those things when people would say, like, why was that included in the Bible? Yeah, it's yeah, such an ugly exactly picture. right. Yeah. In a way, it's kind of like the before and after photo of a renovation, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like if you didn't see, I've noticed it just doing stuff around the house, sometimes I forget to take a photo of something before I started. Yeah. And you, it's really hard to convey the look at the transformation that was here because you can only see the after picture. Yeah. I wonder where, it's the, like, I think there's so much of scripture where it was like, it. what it does is it makes the grace of God so much more beautiful or the love of God yeah, so much yeah, more beautiful. exactly right. Because you've yeah. got the before, yes. the before yeah, photo, yeah. you know. It's the, sometimes the ugly previous image is like the black velvet on the jeweler's counter. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. then in the New Testament or in Christ, it's like the jeweler, God, you know, the creator, empties the diamond mm. or the diamonds Onto the black velvet. Yeah. And yeah. all of a sudden, you know, the beauty of the diamond stands out yeah. against the dark backdrop. I don't even know whether that's a thing. I'm just, you know, that's, yeah. I, I guess, just an <laughs> I illustration. Think, I, I, it makes sense to me. There's a, con- <laughs> there's a contrast that yeah, yeah. So makes there's something this, clearer. Yeah, because, uh, you know, the, the brilliance and the beauty uh, it stands out against the dark backdrop. And mm-hmm. it's like stars in a night sky. You get away from the city and look up and you see a lot more stars because the, the sky isn't affected as much by the reflection of cities at night. Yeah, you know? yeah. So there's a bit of that. I mean, animal sacrifice, I think, would be an example of that in um, in Scripture. You know, I, I think animal sacrifice, without a doubt, was what people were convinced God wanted mm. and God needed. And yet there's allusions through a number of the prophets, probably at least four, that the prophets were saying sacrifice is not as important to God as you think. Yeah. Okay. You know, classic passage that I've just picked out, and it is cherry-picked. I'm, I'm being honest here. I've cherry-picked this. But this is a classic passage. It's just got right down to Isaiah, even a major prophet like Isaiah has these same intimations. Hosea 6.6 may put it the clearest. I've pulled it out of the good news because it's sort of very clear and simple. And it's God speaking through the prophet Hosea saying, I want your constant love, not your animal sacrifices. I would rather have my people know me than than burn offerings to me. Mm. You know, now it's not in one sense, it's not saying God's displeased with burn offerings. It's just saying for God, the priority was never about sacrificing animals. The priority, the bottom line for God has always been about his people engaging him and knowing him. Yeah, you know, and yeah. so um, another another passage of scripture talks about I desire mercy rather than sacrifice. Mm. What have I required of you, O man, to do justly and to walk humbly? You know, like yeah. th- there's this focus by the by the you know the particularly towards the end of that kind of prof- the prophetic books. There's this focus shifting from, and of course it had to because they'd lost the temple. So temple worship in Babylon wasn't possible for them. And so in one sense, it's almost like God used that. I'm not saying God caused the um, their calamity, but God used the calamity to break them out of their old mindset. And they realized this is part of the revelation of, of um, Ezekiel. 
sort of Ezekiel. Yeah, I think, oh golly, it should be read in better than this, but uh, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, you know, and uh, actually, no, I'm confusing that. Ezekiel gets this vision of God. What is incredible is he's serving in the temple of Dagon. Oh, right, yeah. In Babylon. Yeah. And he gets a vision of God in Babylon. Yeah. And it was like this revelation of wherever we are, God seems to be. Yeah. And isn't it funny that where does that culminate? Yeah. New Testament, no longer is God dwelling in a temple. Mm. You are the temple. Yeah. So you being the temple, was that always true? Yeah, yeah. Did the, yes. Did the people always understand it that way? No. <laughs> no. Yeah. They thought they had to go to a temple. By the New Testament, you got, okay, yes, God does dwell in temples and each one of them is one. Mm. Well, I don't think that was a new truth. Right. I just think that was a truth that was brewing and hadn't fully emerged in the heart of men. That mm. revelation had not become clear, you know, until later. Yeah. But it was becoming clearer. Um, by these, you know, more minor prophet, prophetic books and and later prophetic books, um, and so I guess that plays into the thought what, of God never changing as well. Like, yeah, but look, that re- that raises questions like um, why why animal sacrifice? You know, why did God allow it? Did God need animal sacrifice, or did God allow people to sacrifice animals so that their conscience could be appeased? Right. Because they're an ancient people, and that's how they thought the gods worked. Mm. So was God happy to meet them where they thought he was, mm. even though that might not have been his primary intent? Yeah. Um, and, and in a sense, that's foreshadowed even when you think about Jesus as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This is what makes me wonder whether we should ponder at times whether God needed Jesus to die or whether we needed Jesus to die. Did we need to see? We it? needed yeah. to see that things had been settled, mm-hmm. you know, but or was it the heart of God, a father saying, I'm going to kill you for them? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. To me, that's a confusing image. So, um, which is the theory of penal substitutionary atonement. Okay. You know, and yeah. which is a theory. Yeah. You know, now, penal well, yeah, means, what, yeah. means to punish, <laughs> substitutionary means that. One life was substituted for another. So obviously Jesus for the sinner. And, you know, that all reflects so many types in Scripture, such as the sacrificial lamb. Um, and I say yes and amen. I, I believe that. Jesus died in my place and for me. So why don't we, why do, Why am I hesitant to even literalize that by saying Yes, penal substitutionary atonement is the way the cross works. That's how atonement works. Atonement simply means being made right with God. Mm. Um, well, I I struggle with it now because I look at the story of Abraham. Again, the story came from somewhere. It's going somewhere and it came from somewhere. And if I look back to, you know, maybe not so much principle of first mention, but maybe where a concept is first mentioned. You know, you meet Abraham where you naturally would meet a, a patriarchal head who grew up in Ur of the Chaldees at the child, at the altar of child sacrifice. That's where God meets him, mm. calls him to sacrifice Isaac, but then tells him to withhold your hand. Okay, so sacrifice your child made sense to Abraham. Doesn't make sense to us, but it made sense to yeah, Abraham. Yeah. Um, and it would have been a... Terrible thing to face, but it made sense to him. But then God reveals himself as the God who doesn't want child sacrifice. Right. Wow. Abraham's relieved. Comes down the mountain with Isaac. God provided a ram. Beautiful, beautiful picture of what God did in Christ. But if we're not careful, 
if we literalize that Im- image and say that is what that is how the cross works, God the Father sacrificed His Son, then we come back to unredeeming, or we we risk unredeeming the image. Right. And even older image, we end up instead of affirming that image of God does not require your children, we end up unredeeming yeah. a way earlier image where it's like, well, didn't God show Abraham that kids weren't sacrificing children is not where it's at. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, um, I've got no doubt that Jesus paid the price for our sin. He paid the price of sin, not to sin, but the price of sin. He was what the you know, New Testament says in a number of places, the pre- uh, propitiation for our sins or the wrath-absorbing sacrifice. In other words, if you could understand it maybe in modern terms, he took the bullet that was headed our way as a human race. All of those things are true. But I think it becomes problematic if we literalise it and we join dots, you know, that maybe we're only ever meant to be individual waypoints that individually point at Christ. Mm. You know, Christ is the sacrificial lamb. He is our ransom. He is this. He's, you know, he's all of these things. Yes, yes, yes. But... Those are actual metaphors that are pointing to the reality of of Jesus redeeming the world. Mm. And then what we're tempted to do is with theories join the dots on how that worked. Yeah, yeah. I, I would rather just go, I'm glad it worked. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Instead of having to explain how it worked, I'm, I'm comfortable with the mystery. Mm. I think Jesus is all those things. And holding all those points in tension. Yeah, but I think we've got to be very, very careful that we, that we go, they're metaphors. Yeah. You know, when the, when the book of Revelation says he's a lamb, I saw a lamb on the throne. Uh, whose blood had been slain, I don't, I'm not imagining Jesus as a woolly sheep. Yeah, yeah. With yeah. its throat cut. I really aren't. Mm. I think I know what John is alluding to. Mm. He he is the one who took our place. Yeah. He is the ram that Abraham sacrificed instead of, of Isaac. He is that, but in image and metaphor only. Yeah, yeah. In, in that sense. Um, is the truth true? Yeah, it's that old story. Um, uh, does something have to be? Does something have to have happened to be true? Mm, no. Of course not. No, yeah. None of Jesus' parables happened. That's why we call them parables. Yeah, but, but they're are they less true? But are they true? Yeah. Absolutely, they're true. And so, um, uh, I, I just think we've got to be careful if we literalize things, metaphoric language, in a sense. Yeah. So the story's going somewhere. It's coming from somewhere, and and it, it's meant to be redemptive in Christ. Not unredemptive. So if we we start to paint pictures and images. Revert back to old images. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. Which is what we do when we have this mosaic view that that the story's unconnected, dots. That it's just a mosaic of stories that all tell us absolute truth about God rather than they are all little indicators. Mm. These stories all indicate and point towards Jesus. Right. They're yeah. all pointing towards him. Yeah. You know what I mean? So but they might not be the destination. That's exactly right. Like in the book of Ruth, he is the kinsman redeemer. You know, he is Boaz. He is the one who, you know, redeemed his his relation's wife when her only other choice was to be destitute and left at the mercy of the wolves, basically. Um but was but as Jesus Boaz. Yeah, no. No, no, yeah. no. He's he's like Boaz. He's he's a kinsman redeemer, which was th- this law in Israel, you know. So um, yeah, there we go. The story 
is going somewhere and it's come from somewhere might be a good way to add in as well. Mm. And and it's one story. <laughs> and it's it's one story amongst so many that, that create a beautiful coloured in image, mm. even though it's a bit vague and hazy, as Paul would say, I behold in a mirror dimly because a, an ancient mirror that Paul was talking about would have been polished brass or polished metal of some kind. So I see in a mirror dimly. You know, but he said, but one day I'll see face to face and then everything will become clear. And that's why we can be kind of comfortable with mystery in the meantime. Yeah. Because one day it will be clear. Yeah. We'll see him face to face. Um, and we won't, you know, we won't have to have things explained All to us. these questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, ultimately if you just think of the atonement, we need to tie this off, I guess, but, you know, there's, there's I think, seven major theories of the atonement. They all... I think all of them contain truth. Some of them might seem more incomplete than others. I certainly favour Christus Victor as my primary theory, but I'm reminded that they are all just theories. Mm. You know, we, we, we're not even trying to say they're doctrine. They're all theories of how the cross worked. Mm. And I look at them and every one of them, the ransom theory, the scapegoat theory, you know, penal substitutionary atonement, they all have an element that goes, yep, that highlights part of the work of Christ. Mm. It does. I like Christus Victor because I think it just underlines what he achieved. And, you know, the bottom line is however what Jesus did on the cross worked, uh, uh, however it worked, it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how it worked, but it works. Yeah. And uh, in, in the sense that faith in Jesus, it will bring you into communion with God, without a doubt. Mm. It'll bring you into communion with your creator. And if you're determined to follow, your life will be transformed. Hey, this is Naral here. Hope you enjoyed it. And next, till we meet next time, let's cook a curry or go fishing. Thanks and have a good week. <laughs>